the danger a lot of times, you know, what these guys put themselves through out on the road. Um, I would say it's one of the most dangerous sports out there. I mean, car racing, you got a shell around you and helmets and these guys are going 60 some miles an hour down Alpine passes with underwear on and a styrofoam cap. You know, it's, it's, it's nuts. From the studio of rule 29, I'm your host, Justin Aarons, and this is design of a storytelling exploration featuring interviews with known and unknown extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. And for this episode, I want to share a conversation with, well, simply put, just a really great guy. Yeah, he was an Olympian and one of America's great cyclists, but he's always up for a laugh and a good chat. And since I'm sure, like many of you, I've been missing some of the things that I enjoy to watch or experience, like sports or movies or concerts, I want to talk to Christian about one of my favorite parts of the summer, the Tour de France. And we do talk about cycling. We also talk about life and all those things going on right now. So we started with what he's been up to since his retirement from pro cycling. Enjoy the show. Since 2013, when I retired, it's been really just saying yes to everything, anything that comes across my desk, I, I just kind of jumped on. Whether it had been, you know, I started trying to go for, uh, head up the, the union for United States for cycling. Um, so I've been the president of that. I still am right now. Um, made some big changes there. And luckily enough, got that job with NBC. Um, I feel a lot more comfortable now than I did in 2014. That's taken a long time to really to feel, get my footing doing that. Um, feel comfortable in front of the camera and behind the microphone and on the other side of the fence. Um, I thought it'd be some of those things would be a little bit easier than they really were. But and I appreciate so much more of what other people had to do interviewing me now. Now that I sit in that chair. Um, Work with Peloton now. Um, done a, a bunch of ch- fun charity work. Uh, really a lot, and, and I'm pleasantly surprised of how busy I've been within this cycling world. Um, if you would have told me ten years ago that I've been able to stay in the the cycling world this long, I'd tell you you're a liar. So I'm, I'm, it's it's been great to be honest. Well, let's talk about that NBC gig. Uh, how did yeah. that come about? Uh, the way it came about is in 2013, I crashed out and uh, our head of media relations, Mariah Pongrace, she said, hey, you know, NBC's interested in, in maybe playing around with you. And so I, I kind of read between the lines and realized that they, they've been turning a lot of people over time and time again. And I realized that this is a semi-formal interview. So I just, I was all broken sitting back in Lamont, Illinois. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to buy a ticket. And this is during the tour still. So I'd crashed out and I'm already home. And I bought a ticket and went back. Well, hold and on sat a second. Down. This is the your last oh. tour. You crashed out early, and yeah. you came home, and then you went back on the same tour. Yeah, in the same tour. You know. And, wow. And to, be, to be honest, my team wasn't so psyched. You know, when I'm when I'm supposed to be home, you know, resting up and healing up, and I'm all of a sudden I show back up in a transatlantic flight. But you know, that was already July, and, and I knew I was retiring in a couple of months, and and I I realized that I had to start looking after myself for the first time, and. Yeah. I wasn't really going to be underneath the team anymore. So, you know, I, I took a leap of faith and went back there. Um, and I sat down, I did like two segments maybe at the most. So that was enough for them to see that they're willing to take the risk with me. And I jumped in the next year in 2014. Well, let's, let's uh, dig into that a little bit more. So what has been the best part of being in the booth and what has been the worst part? <laughs> The best part of being in the booth is staying connected to the sport that I love, um, appreciating how hard the sport is. I, you know, I, I look at it as a fan now. 
Um, and I've always been a, a massive fan of the sport since I was a kid, but I think it's rekindled my love for the sport in a way, whereas I got a little jaded towards the end. It was just a job and I was always you know, coming back from injury, going highs and lows of peaks and valleys, like any any athlete who is lucky enough to have a 16, 16 year career like myself. So um, yeah, I just, I'm just humbled to be able to still be in it. Um, I, I look at awe of these guys and, and I think of like, how the hell did I ever do that? And, and uh, so that those have been the positives, staying involved with it, having relationships that still exist to this day. Um, negatives being nothing's changed in my life. And I sometimes <laughs> haven't really moved on, you know, and I really almost keep the same schedule where, you know, I'm home during the winter time, which is great, but the, you know, with the kids before we came on air, we were talking about how it's, it's, this has been the first time during this lockdown that I've really spent as much time with the family. Um, and, and that's been fantastic for me, to be honest with you. So that's the, the negative side is just being on the road, just that little bit too much. Um, that, that's, that's the hard part. Before we get too far into this podcast, I think it's important for those of you who don't know about the Tour de France, just to get some basics. First of all, Cycling, especially in the big tours, is really a team sport. Many may think it's an individual sport because you see the general classification rider or the main rider of a team win the Mile de Jorn, otherwise known as the yellow jersey. And that jersey is the one that simply goes to the overall winner, the one who does the race the fastest. But the Tour de France has several other jerseys and several other races going on within a race. So you have the best overall team, and then you have the green jersey, and that goes to the fastest sprinter, basically the one who uh, sprints the fastest during certain stages uh, of the tour and um, collects points. That's the green jersey. Next jersey is the king of the mountains, and this is uh, those riders who basically ride up the mountains the fastest and get most of the points uh, for that. So for many, uh, the king of the mountain or the sprinter jerseys are some of the most fun. And then you have the white jersey, which is for the best young rider. And that's for a rider who is 24 years or younger and uh, just rides, you know, the fastest for that uh, age group. So it's a pretty exciting uh, race. There's no way you can win overall without the help of a team. And one of the things that Christian uh, did, being a past cyclist and one who did the tour for years, is he uh, goes to the tour a few weeks before the tour starts and basically does his little uh, films to really share with you what some of the legs are like. Uh, because on different days of the Tour de France, you can do some just unbelievably hard climbs uh, through narrow roads or descent at uh, speeds, you know, 50, 60 miles plus. So Christian really gives you an insight to the race uh, like many uh, in the past have not been able to. Yeah, so when I do the stage previews, we actually do that this last year. Uh, we did it in June, so the middle of June. So we flew out there, did a, a recon, and it's brutal. I'm, I'm not gonna make light of it. And this is kind of a job that I, I kind of made up out of thin air, and I thought this would be great if we go and do these little segments to really show the, the viewers at home what it's like to climb this, because a lot of times you don't get a good grasp of how hard or how steep or how fast these guys are going. So we try to really portray that as much as possible. So that's a lot of fun, but at the same time, I mean, we drive seven hours a day for seven days and my poor crew is absolutely cracked um, at the end of that week. Um, but yeah, and then during the tour, yeah, there's there's a lot you don't see um, 
lot of trials and tribulations in the, the more scenic it is, the worse it is. So if we're on top of a mountain, you know, if you're calling me three hours after the race ended, there's a very good chance I'm still trying to get off that mountain. Wow. Well, <clears throat> what is it like for you? Because no offense, I, you look, uh, you look good right now. You look fit, but you're probably not in Christian Vanderveld race shape. So what is it like, even if you do a section of the El Duez or, or any climb? No, it's, it's a great, uh, first of all, you have it in your mind, you know, like when you're a kid, you think that your grandparents' house is the Taj Mahal, you know, and you go there as an adult and you realize like, this is only a uh, 1200 square feet. And so you have all these things in your head, whereas, you know, and it's the opposite of that. So when I was racing, all that didn't seem so bad. And I go up and now I'm like, holy crap, this is brutal. So those are <laughs> great, great little things to do. Uh, for me to go and remind myself what this climb is actually like, how dangerous the descent really is, um, what these technical aspects of it, and really just see it for what they're going to be seeing right, right that day. And, and, you know, things have changed over the last 10, 20 years. It might be repaved, the roads might be wider. Um, I mean, the mountains don't get any steeper <laughs> going up or down, but uh, it's, it's really me just going back to school and remembering what it is and, and making the viewers understand what it is. This year, however, if, if, there, if and when there is a tour, um, we'll be in Stanford, Connecticut, unfortunately. So I won't have that luxury of getting to wake up in the morning and go do the, the last 20, 30 miles of the course and, and have that in my mind. Oh, it's such a bummer. So yes, so as of the recording of the show, the tour has been moved to August 29th to September 20th. So as of right now, is that it? You, uh, the riders, the only ones on the course with the, what, the camera crew and the medical crew and, and that's it? Yeah, I mean, and then, and then, uh, you know, I guess the police and some other things, it's gonna be as minimum as possible. So I guess they'll have probably French television hosting it like they always do, but nobody else apart from them. So everyone else will have to do it at the respective studios all over the world. Um, how they're gonna keep people at bay I mean, that's, that's a million there's dollar no, question. There's no yeah. way. There's no I way. I don't know, man. I, <laughs> I mean, it's the national, it's the national sport. Yeah, I know. I know, man. I mean, these are all the questions, you know, and there's, you have to think about all the contingency plans and how they're going to keep that in line. You know, if God forbid one person gets sick, whether it's a, a mechanic or a rider and everywhere in between, what do you do from there? I mean, the chances, let's say even with a slimmed down tour, there's still probably a thousand people working there from mechanics yeah. to swineers to people who are just putting up the, the finish line. So there's still quite a few people out there. And the chances of them getting COVID sitting at their home and, you know, in the respective country is pretty damn good of one, one person out of a thousand. So I don't know, man, I, I, I'm optimistic because I need to be, and yeah. uh, I, I'm hoping for the best. Yeah, I saw your interview with Mike Tirico. By the way, he seems like a really nice guy. Well, uh, usually on NBCSN during the summertime when we'd have uh, the Olympics, we'd also be working around the Tour de France, which has become uh, one of those great traditions. Christian Vandeveld joins us on the coverage there. He joins us now. And uh, obviously France in the middle of this as well. And uh, President Macron, I should say, uh, with the shutdowns in Paris, obviously pushing back the Tour de France from the summertime dates closer to the fall. Christian, first off, the impact that will have on the race itself if it ends up being run in those dates impact first and foremost that i'm thinking is that it might be the, one of the best tour de france we've seen 
ever. I mean, you have all the eggs in one basket. There's no Olympics. The other Grand Tours are, are still a little bit suspect. Um, the weather should be decent. I mean, that's really, I think, the biggest concern for them going to September in the high mountains. You could have some times where maybe some snow. Well, we even had snow and hail last year in July. So I think that's one of the biggest mm -hmm, concerns, right. apart from the COVID, obviously. Um, but right now, I just talked to one of the GMs on one of the Pro Tour teams, and he was thinking about, yeah, we're putting all of our best riders into this race for sure. He, he's just, he's one of those guys. He's just, he's, he's a genius, Justin. I mean, like the, everything, he just retains everything. And you wish you had one-tenth the microchip that that man possesses. So I, I'm in, <laughs> in, in constant awe of him and the work he does. Yeah, but I saw, you know, you guys were talking about the, the, the hope that it still happens because that may be the only race of the year, the big race of the year, right? Yeah, I mean, right now, the calendar, the way the UCI to the governing body of cycling pretty much let all the races have a hope as, of, as it stands right now. So they've re rearranged the schedule and pretty much crammed it all in the last three months of the year. Is it realistic? No, of course, it's not realistic. But yeah. right now, at least the sport isn't imploding. Um, so we just need some uh, a few good races and, of course, the Tour de France, a bunch of the classics. Um, silver lining being that if we do do that, and if that does happen, uh, the best riders will be on the line at every race. You won't have them divided up over a few and it's going to be spectacular racing. So if we do get it, if, and when we do get it, it'll be great. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I can't imagine a, a summer to be honest with you without, with you and, um, my man, Phil Liggett. I mean, <laughs> the voice of the tour, um, he's not retiring anytime soon, is he? Oh, he, no way, man. You're, you're going <laughs> to, he's going to live forever. There's no way you're going <laughs> to, you can't keep that man down. No way. Now he's another guy that seems just wonderful. Oh, he's fantastic. I mean, we, we definitely have a tighter crew than you think. Um, or, or I, I actually appreciate, you know, a lot of times um, it, it's been so much time and during the highs and lows of anything that that's, you have a traumatic event like that. It's, it's always bonding in a way. And that was really, uh, really up. I hate to bring it up, but it really shown when the passing of Paul Sherwin, who was you know, mm. Phil's partner in crime for 42 years. I mean, incredible time that those guys spent together. Um, I mean, obviously they weren't together that long at the beginning, but um, yeah, one of the longest running, uh, what do you call it? Combinations in sports. Yeah, duos, yeah. Yeah. They were, it was weird last summer not having Paul for sure. Yeah. For 33 years, Paul Sherwin shared this three-week ride with me around France with audiences across the very ends of the earth. The broadcast we do, the simultaneous live broadcast, goes to 150 different countries in the world. In his hands, it was a joyful celebration of the sport's signature event. This could very well be the climb that is sealing a victory for the man in the yellow jersey. As a five-time tour finisher with every pedal stroke in the stage, Paul built a foundation as an expert commentator. He's down on the end, riding like a man possessed, and it's because he knows that in the group with him, he's got other teammates, and one of those is Pierre Roland. The insight he brought to the race was hard won. Spot on. And appreciated as much by the cyclists as the fans. Hey! In an ever-changing world, Paul Sherwin was a refreshing constant. <laughs> the beauty of cycling comes in large part from what is revealed in the crucible of the journey. 
the hammer has gone down. The pressure is on. A man's character is stripped to its essential elements over hundreds of miles in front of millions of people. This is the moment when you've got to have nerves of steel. Uh, but it does seem like you guys have a lot of fun. We do. And you, you know what? You need to. In a, in a, in a job like that, if you're, if you're not having a good time, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be there and, and i think also if you're not having a good time it's going to show to the, the viewers at home so um we, we try to portray that as much as possible um but really it's, it's still one of those events you're, you're working r ridiculous days and hours um and if you're not laughing you're crying kind of thing <laughs> well before we move from the tour i was uh talking to um my kids i'm buying my son his first bike today Whoa. I'm very excited. Yeah, he decided um, we do an annual ride from where we live up to Lake Geneva. It's about 78, 80 miles. And his longest he's ever ridden has been 20. So uh, he's got a couple of months to um, get in shape. And we're talking about, you know, the ride we did with Wheels for Water. And, and I was thinking about, uh, since I've had so much time to look at pictures from past rides, thinking about just those beautiful days and those really hard days that you can have on the bike. Can you share with me what was one of the best days you had specifically on the Tour de France? Because um, you were technically, were you always a domestique when you were on the tour, or or did you ever have a different role on the on the a team? Just to help with some of the terminology here, in road cycling, a domestique is a rider who works for the benefit of his or her team and their overall leader trying to win the race. So for example, if you're a domestique and the main rider gets a flat, uh, you would give them your bike or give them warm clothing if they, they were cold. Or you would ride all the way back to the team car and grab some food or M&Ms or whatever they needed and hustle back up and give it to them. So you're basically serving to help the uh, overall team and your leader do the best they possibly can. Were you always a domestique when you were on the tour, or or did you ever have a different role on the on the team? Yeah, I had two years, two yeah, two years where I wasn't really in the service. You know, one in 2008, I got fourth place. So definitely was a was not a domestique that year. Yeah, um, that year I would say I, I had two or three days where it just you know I couldn't do anything wrong. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have the confidence to go along with that, so I didn't really, I didn't really play my cards. I was really um, a little gun shy, and with that, and if you know, there's those are the kind of things that you know, I, I don't have any regrets, and you can't really dwell on those kind of things. But it, in in hindsight, especially if you watch the videotape, I mean, I was like, oh my goodness, if I would just would have just gone for it, I, I could have been in the yellow jersey that day. But uh, Hadikam was a stage that it was like. I could do no wrong and it was fantastic um and then alp d'huez uh the stage before two stages before alp d'huez i i had a little crash and i had a rough day and i lost a bunch of time so i went from third place back to fifth or sixth place and um alp d'huez you know everyone had ridden me off and so i had a little bit of chip in my shoulder and i, I wasn't gonna go out like that and going the wrong way in the gc battle and battled back and what a great place to have that opportunity to have good legs and to be able to battle back but alp d'huez the Alpe d'Huez, this is a legendary leg of the Tour de France. So one thing about Tour de France you should know is every year it changes its route. So it uh, isn't always the same roads or mountain passes, that sort of thing. Often they repeat, 
but the Alpes is a classic, uh, just grueling uh, climb in Tour de France. And so for Christian to have a great day in Alpes is, you know, like hitting the game winning free throw um, to win the game. So uh, it is a pretty exciting and amazing thing. Uh, we will put a link to Alpes in the show notes. A stage so famous and a mountain so, so famous that you, you, you've been playing it just like someone would play like their Babe Ruth or Sammy Sosa hitting something out of the park um, when they were a kid. We used to always play like if we're going up a hill, it's, it was always up to Wes and, and being able to do that and having the crowd go nuts. That was, that was a fantastic day and a great memory. Mm. Well, and I, I, uh, I hate to bring this up. And of course, if, if it's painful or if you don't want to talk about it, I can just cut this out. But what was, what was one of the worst days? Mm. You know, crashing out, of course, there's nothing worse than crashing out. Um, you put so much into the Tour de France. It's, it's, it's kind of like, luckily enough, it's not every four years like the Olympics is for some of those athletes. Um, but it is really the pinnacle. So I, I guess the closest thing would be the Indy 500, having a, a rough Indy 500. You put everything on the line for that one one big car race. Even though you have other big races, this is the one that matters. And, and so crashing out, and as you probably know, Justin, like cyclists don't stop just because of the hangnail. So I broke bones quite a few times and still get back on your bike and assess the situation while you're racing on the road. And so broken collarbone, uh, broken hand one time and a bunch of broken ribs the other time. So that that was never the way you want to go out. So that's easily, but during the race, you know, it's really just one of those days where when you know you don't have it and struggling and those are the days that, especially on the heels of having a, a great race and you are just completely destroyed. And let's say you're trying to get in the breakaway and you got nothing and you're just finding yourself in the groupetto, which is the, the, the last group on the road, just trying to make the time cut. So you, when you go from battling at the front for the, for the stage wins to just trying to finish the race, ooh, there's, there's not too many things that are more humbling than that. Yeah. I always wonder about the sprinters, you know, for, for those who, um, maybe don't watch cycling, uh, oftentimes, uh, in a, in any race, but especially the, the Tour de France, there are, are different stages that are ma- suited for different types of riders, you know, um, and the sprinters often aren't great climbers and it always feels like they're in the back, just hanging on and they, they have are. like a little, fr- they have a little fraternity back there. Like, is that what it's like? Like we, they, we we're going to, we're going to make they, it. They, they, they do. And in my, and you know, as I was telling you that, that, I don't belong in that fraternity, you know, and they're, they're looking at me like, what, what the hell are you doing here? You know, we, this is our crew. Uh, and so it, it was, it, that was a rough day. That, that was a, one of those days where you start questioning what's going on and um, you just got to gut it out. And, you know, a couple of days later I got second place on the stage. So those are the days that you just got to turn the page and, and go on the next and, and know of all the hard work that you put into is, is not, not for not. Awesome. Well, thanks for that. So <clears throat> have you, being a, uh, you know, we, all of us from the Chicago suburbs call ourselves Chicago boys. Uh, so mm-hmm. you as a Chicago boy, what has it been like? Um, have you been like with the rest of us just absolutely eating up the last dance? Oh man, of course. You guys not allowed? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what time is it? Big My mentality was to go out and win at any cost. Jordan is the most talented player in the NBA by far. 
The show of the 90s, the team of the 90s. Whenever they speak Michael Jordan, they should speak Scottie Pippen. We created an image that people want to live up to. I think that's all you can hope for. It's been great. And I, th I thought they did such a good job with everything, especially the music. All of a sudden, they just start, they throw in whatever in that time period, would it be like 92, 91, they just threw something in there. And then finishing with Pearl Jam, and all of a sudden, Eddie Vedder comes on. I'm like, oh my God, I was almost in tears. You know, like Eddie Vedder, Chicago guy, throwing in uh, a song that Pearl Jam put out in 98. I mean, it, it was fantastic. But just reliving all those games, um, whether I was, I had the, the pleasure of actually being there physically um, or just watching it at home and just thinking of where I was during that time, whether I was in high school or, or racing abroad and watching it from Spain. It, yeah. It brought back so many good memories. Yeah. I thought it was what I thought was one of the best parts of it was although it was about that last dance, how they weaved back and told all the backstory of all the characters and how things developed. And you really got to see all six championships in the two middle years. I thought yeah. that was, um, I mean, I, I didn't know half of that stuff about Phil Jackson. Um, I knew that Jerry Crest, yes. you know, was uh, kind of a nemesis, but kind of a genius, you know, at the same yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, so. my, my dad used to, swear and cuss about Jerry Cross all the time, you know, <laughs> but you know, cause it's always a little bit one-sided too, but then you really had to give him credit when you really took a, a step back. You know, I had the same thought of Jerry as my, as you, you know, like, but then when you see that, you're like, man, you have to give the guy credit. He, he created something awesome and, and seeing things in people that other people didn't see, and especially that grab with Robin. Yeah. Well, I will say though, that I was so thrilled at the end when Michael said, why not, why couldn't you have just given us the chance? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, well, I bring that up because as, as, as you're well aware, ESPN is on a 30 by 30 kind of magic ride with all these great documentaries. And I got to see your mug last, last Sunday on the TV. How does that feel to be on the current documentary about Lance? Mm, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. You know, it's, uh, it's polarizing. There's no doubt about that. And it, it was hard to, regurgitate a lot of those things that some of the not not the the highlights um of when you're looking back but you know it it's a it's something that that did happen and you can't sweep it underneath the rug what is the worst thing that you did what is the worst thing? everybody in the world needs to get this question what is the worst thing you've ever done if you believe in miracles you believe in fairy tales then you believe in lance armstrong The talk is that this is Lance Armstrong's effort to resurrect his reputation. He's very good at making sure he's one step removed from true responsibility of his actions. I'm gonna be naturally skeptical of whatever Lance does or says. The cynics and the skeptics, I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry you can't dream big and I'm sorry you don't believe in miracles. All the praise that we put upon him was all well-deserved. Winning seven Tour de France is not easy. That's extremely difficult to do. 
The French media began taking shots at Armstrong last week. It escalated over the past two days, accusing him of taking performance-enhancing drugs. I can never be honest about this because all of this goodness will come crashing down. I did tell Lance to just come out and say it. I mean, this is, this is real now. I needed a nuclear meltdown, and I got it. I'm not going to lie to you, Marina. I'm going to tell you my truth. Uh, you know, it's, it's just interesting because you're, you're in the story, and it's it's not my my story necessarily. It's Lance's story. So yeah, I'm um, just just trying to like put put little thing little tidbits in there to add a little depth to his. Yeah. Well, the main reason I brought that up is because one of the things that Lance was for me as a fan was as I got into cycling, he was kind of my Michael Jordan of cycling. You know, and uh, what I thought was interesting about the last dance is how many of his teammates were just saying that Jordan was a jerk. You know, yeah. he was just like this driver, and but at the end, in some ways, you know, uh, they appreciated an element of his personality. Um, is there any comparison between the mm -hmm. two? You know, um, because uh, you rode with Lance, I think, for a couple of years. If, yeah, if six, I have that right, six, I think six years, five or six years. Okay, was there is yeah. there any comparison to that? Am I am I making that up, or is is no, are they the type a, of personalities that that would drive you like that? No, not not. I mean, that's not a stretch at all. It, there's so many parallels, and it, I didn't need to see the Lance documentary of what Marina did to to draw those conclusions while I was watching the Last Dance. There's a lot of times during during the Mike series that I was like, wow, man, <laughs> I was like. I can't believe the parallels here of how close these guys are. And, and also, you know, the, the benefits, you know, there's always negatives, of course, but you know, when, when somebody's driving that, that hard, but the benefits are that he's going to elevate your game, um, whether you like it or not. Um, being a teammate with that is, is not, not for everybody. And there's some, some people who fit into that really well. And some people that don't, um, I was in between depending on where I was and how old I was, um, where I fit into it and I didn't fit into it. But there's no doubt about when he made his comeback. You know, I I'd never trained so hard in my life. You know, just he just brought so much more to the to our small sport that the the spotlight was so much bigger. So coming off the heels of my fourth place in the Tour de France going in 2009, I, I never trained so hard in my life um, and dedicated as much into it. Um, so yeah, he, he uh, whether you're a competitor or a teammate is, he definitely uh, drove you to the next level. Yeah, because that was the first thing I thought of, because regardless of the topic and the things that they're exploring, I'm not necessarily interested about that. I was just more of like, wow, here I am. I'm watching two documentaries of two sports icons that, quite honestly, I, I adore um, mm -hmm. as a fan, you know, and then yeah. um, thinking about, wow, I never even thought about what it was like. Because I think many people don't realize that cycling is a team sport. Um, it's definitely, you know, you can speak this obviously much better than I can. There's moments, obviously, that you're on your own and, and uh, you know, uh, you're doing things for yourself. But in general, for you to, to win, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you need the help of a team. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they really made that foundation bigger and bigger, um, baby in U.S. Postal Service. Um, from, from 99 to our first win, which I was a part of, and... I was just a young 23-year-old who didn't know anything um, to what his last tour in 2005. I mean, it just got stronger and stronger and stronger as a team. And they were one of the first people to really go all or nothing just for one person. 
and not only just one person for one person for one race even though there's hundreds of races in the calendar year for cycling that's the only thing that really mattered whatever happened of course you want success throughout the year but really was go for broke for the tour de france and that really changed a lot of the sport and how they looked at it and and now the professionalism oh my god i mean what team Ineos or team sky are doing in the the budgets that they have i mean people think of us postal service being the the team being this huge monstrosity like the patriots this franchise is incredible they don't remember that in 99 2000 in 99 98 we had a bunch of like three and a half million dollars done we had nothing man it was i mean we had a postal worker on our team uh kenny lebay from yeah, chicago what is, what is what does Team Sky spend? Like just a comparison. So like, uh, tens, 50, tens of millions, fifty something. Wow, that's accounted for. I mean, I'm sure there's a, there's some that are off the books that people are getting yeah. paid. So who knows? Honestly, it's it's a but anyway, it's it's a massive difference. Um, I applaud these guys of of the science that goes and just technology alone. I mean, you don't need to be present. You could be in Colombia doing a training, and I could see if you stopped at your girlfriend's house on your training. You know, it's it's you could see everything. The diet. Uh, the mental aspect, there is no stone that isn't un unturned. So um, yeah, cycling is, is incredible. The, the margins these days are so slim from, from top to bottom that the, that's why you see so many crashes. Um, everyone in the Peloton is you know, world-class. Wow, that's awesome. If, yeah. What is something that you wish people just knew about cycling in general, about your sport? Mm. I mean, uh, I guess a little bit of what is just going after right there is just of, of how hard it is um, and really just the monastic lifestyle that you have to live to do it. It's it's not as uh, glamorous as you think it would be. Um, but after the one of the biggest ones is really the danger a lot of times, you know, what these guys put themselves through out on the road. Um, I would say it's one of the most dangerous sports out there. I mean, car racing, you got a shell around you and helmets and these guys are going 60 some miles an hour down Alpine passes with their underwear on, underwear on, and a styrofoam cap. You know, it's 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 yeah. nuts. And in uh, as the as the group as a whole has gotten stronger and stronger, it just makes it that much more dangerous because there's only so much road going down the road. I mean, there's only so much road or tarmac to fit 186 incredibly fit people at the peak of their career going down there so it, there's and, the, and every year there's more roundabouts and there's more traffic islands and there's more people inside the, the road and there's more helicopters people blowing air horns in the ear throwing water beer on you um it would it's it, it's nuts and, and try to really get that into your living room is not easy to to do so mm -hmm. i would I, I, that'd be one of the things that i love to see more onboard cameras those kind of things where we could go in and really get a good feel of what it's like to be inside the peloton yeah, because I was, you told me a story, I was really, I was telling my son about it. I think you had told me one time where the race is hard enough because you're millimeters away from the rider next to you. And then you add to the fact, and we've all heard a helicopter like far away, but I think you're saying the helicopters are pretty low. There's a couple of them yeah. by you. So it's incredibly noisy. You have to, you're, you have to be absolutely fried. Your nerves have to be fried, I would think. Yeah. Plus you're exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's it's everything, right? It's it's not one thing. It's a, it's it's everything all put together. So, it's a helicopter. It, it's just a little bit of everything. It's it's the 
the scrutiny from the press um, that your job's really not done even after the race that you're you're racing back to your hotel and you get trying to recover as fast as possible to your nutrition to doing a bunch of interviews afterwards um yeah it's it's a it's a little bit of everything but yeah the helicopters man i mean it's so loud out there like it's really just your central nervous system is so fried that you know someone drops a plate at dinner that night you jump through the sky <laughs> you're always you're, you're always on high alert you know for a crash or what's that noise and just always a little jumpy as we're wrapping up we were just talking about Christian's uh, latest move from, from Illinois out to South Carolina and what it's like to live in an area where many of his past teammates and great riders live and they get to do what they love and share life together. I live an hour south of Astros. I live in Greenville, South Carolina. So just okay. south of North Carolina, just, just they call it the upstate up here. So we're, we're just on the bottom of the mountains. So uh, these days, it seems like you're riding with George Incapi like every other day and you guys are hanging out. So, so what's that been like to, you know, uh, both be able to stay connected to the cycling world, uh, as a commentator, but also seemingly having some of your homies around and being able to live life with them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been, I mean, that's been amazing. Really. Uh, Bobby Julik, uh, he, he, Placed second in the Olympics and third place in the Tour de France in '98. He moved here a couple of years ago from from Nice, France. Um, so we have the three of us here, and it, it's kind of like you know, there's there's only so many people that you can see eye to eye with after you've done battle like that in, in the sport and really know so much about. And, and really, with Bobby and George, they've been racing together since, for almost 30 years. So um, we we have a pretty tight crew, and it's it's really I don't take it for granted. Let's just put it that way when we go out and. and hammer each other but unfortunately though bobby came over here and he was not fit at all he hadn't really rode his bike much <laughs> since he retired but now he's a freak and he's he's a weapon on the bike again and so that's annoying that he kicks our butts a little bit too much these days well i think if i saw it right you were hazing him on social media and then um, i think he took it personally oh yeah there's there's rib we we take it too far often you know we take it way too far too too often but it's nothing that a couple of Glasses of wine around the fire pit won't fix. Thank you, Christian, for always being open to a good chat, to take time to crush me on a ride, and just being a funny and humble amigo. Thanks, man. I'd also like to thank Sleeping At Last for providing our show soundtrack. For more on Ryan and his music, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music. To Design Of's audio engineer, Steve Wick, who has decided after this episode, he wants to increase his workouts. Hi, this is Arnold, your training partner. Now listen to this music and begin moving in half time. I call them squats, and they're excellent for getting the blood moving into your knees and legs. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tell others about our show and stay tuned for our next episode. Please follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash Design of Podcast. See you next episode. Down, up, down, up, and down, up. Now your legs should feel on fire.